Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Walker here. We are doing our introductory show to The Feeling Life. It's a new series on Mental Health News Radio with author and psychotherapist David Klugman. David, good morning. Good morning to you, Kristen. So there are some points that you want to hit for this first discussion. And I told you before we recorded that I wanted to hang the, um, the, what word am I trying to look for here? The responsibility of that on you rather than me. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, after all, this is my hobby horse. <laughs> um, feelings are my hobby horse, studying them. Um, so the, 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 what we're talking about uh, when we talk about the feeling life in terms of me uh, is the first book of my trilogy called The Feeling Life, Reclaiming Your Emotional Vitality and Sense of Purpose because I think those things are related. If we feel there's vitality and there's a sense of moving forward or some sense of purpose, if we're alienated from our feelings, we have neither purpose nor any sense of uh, vitality right. quite often. Um, so I, the one thing I wanted to, to sort of say, which frames the book in, in a lot of ways, is that feelings um, are, not, are not really validated in our culture. And I say not really because it's... You know, it's not, they're not absolutely invalidated, but the process of feeling, its validity, its objective validity is completely uh, sidelined in favor of a kind of a material objectivity. So if you want to work on your feelings, it's not about working on your perception, which etymologically, those words are very close, feeling and perception, which means to gather together. Um, you're really not uh, encouraged to do that, nor are there really many methods to do that. You're just sort of told, well, there's this, there's this canal out here called psychotherapy or psychoanalysis or whatever one appeals to you, and you can go work on your feelings there, which is more or less what, what happens there. But because it's not integrated into the larger culture, my argument on one level would be that what happens even in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis is marginalized because it's not... Uh, it, it doesn't take on the challenge of the greater culture and the greater thought forms and the greater dogmas and beliefs that um, that 
make it so that we live in a culture where feeling our feelings, like, yeah, you can feel your feelings if you'd like to over there on this side, but we got business to do here. We got real things to do. Mm. And it's many, much more like that with imagination. And reality. All, all these things kind of correlate as, as the trilogy goes on. Um, the, other, the other thing uh, about feelings that I want to just highlight off the bat is um, how much work it takes. Yes. To, to, uh, you know, to, to, to feel. Um, you know, you got to get up in the morning, our culture says, and you've got you've got to go to work because you've got to earn money and you've got to pay rent, and that's all valid. But what I'm saying and what the argument of the feeling life is is that you also have to rise in the morning, and you have to attune to your feeling life, and you have to pay dues there as well. And if you don't pay emotional rent, just like if you don't pay your physical rent, you get kicked out of your house. If you don't pay emotional rent, you get kicked out of your life. You don't know who you are. You're alienated. There's a partial sense of identity, but it's not fulfilling, et cetera, et cetera. There's no real access to flow and feeling. And again, I don't, but when I say flow of feeling, it sounds like, oh, this nice experience. Sometimes it is. Sometimes the flow of feeling is the most difficult thing you'll ever encounter ever, which is why there's so much defense against it. It's not marginalized for no reason. It's marginalized because people don't want to feel all their feelings. They want to feel the feelings that they choose, that they cultivate. We were talking about the, you know, the self-help groups and the Tony Robbins. They, they right. cultivate and tell you, okay, well, we're going to just get you to feel these feelings. It's like, yeah, I just want to feel those feelings. Well, but what about the others? It's going to catch up to you. It's not going to work. It's, it's the whole orientation is, is off. So, and part of that orientation being off is the notion that our feelings are merely subjective. I remember one of my great educators, Owen Barfield, was confronted in, by a, 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 someone, an argumenter, who said, uh, yes, but all those are just your subjective feelings. And, and Barfield looked at him in that sweet, impish way that he had. He said, oh, I'm sorry, my, my feeling life is an objective reality before me. Now we're going to jump ahead and we'll come back. But in order to really put that together, you have to have an understanding of imagination. So that, that your feelings become real things, not abstract entities that you sort of feel. They come right in front of your face as pulsing realities, just as much as everything else that's physical, the non-material. They blend together. They're always active. It's not like we're doing something that you know isn't already there. We're just removing things that that are blinding us from it. Right. And that's, that's a lot of what psychotherapy is about. Um, and this process is, is related to psychotherapy and in some ways grows out of it, goes, but goes much further. Um, you know, I would say that uh, w without imagination in the way that, that I would talk about it, the feeling life remains prosaic and literal and merely subjective. And that's fine. And I think for many people, that's what they have, a merely subjective, prosaic, literal, feeling life. I feel this way because of that and this. There's no mystery. There's no mysterious depth. There's no interest in going much further than what just makes sense in the way of getting by in a day, which is fine and understandable, but it's not feeling, not in the way I talk about it, not in the way that I intend it. Again, feeling, perception. You know, you had a, uh, we had a letter today about, um, 
you know, the reality? Do you create your own reality? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And, Let me read the question really quickly. It's from one of our listeners who listened to your first, um, our introduction to you on my show. We talked a lot about empathy. Um, he wrote, how much do you think we create our own reality? I find myself having to wear a cloak of fitting in with most of society, but my escape is to be around people like me. He met me, Kristen, or his other friends where he can be whoever he is at that moment in time. The transition from being there and with others can feel like a plane in a downward draft. How do you make sense of those kinds of transitions? So there's how much do you think we create our own reality? And then there's how much do you make sense of the transitions between, you know, um, fitting in and, and not fitting in? I, th- I think those are two, uh, uh, t- two different questions, but the second one I'll take first. I think there's a couple of things. One is, you know, the old Jungian concept of the persona. You know, everyone's got to get one and put one on, and, and, mm-hmm. and that's the way it works. At least that's the way the theory goes. I mean, he was just observing what was. He, wasn't, he didn't find some truth. He just looked out and said, eh, this is what they do, right? So people wear personas, and, and then they become more real when those personas can melt those masks. And usually those masks or personas are powered by and driven by the, the need to fit in, which then means the need to accommodate. In other words, I'll, I'll sell myself short at whatever level I need to. And of course, this begins in the home with the parents. I'll sell, sell myself short because you don't see me where I am. And I'll, I'll leave whatever you don't see or like behind and find you where you are. because mm. I, I need you a lot more than you need me. And that's the pattern of accommodation that starts in childhood and that will follow us and haunt us throughout our lives if we don't ever change it and address it. This is why I like moving a lot. <laughs> why is that? <laughs> because I just, I like being able to, that's the feeling of not getting too attached. And that has its own other pathology that's for another show. But I really like living somewhere, enjoying it for a while, enjoying the people that I meet for a while. And then I get an itchy feeling of, I need to go experience something new. Well, you know, Kristen, maybe you and I can set up a few appointments and explore that together. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, I fight it. I do fight it. I understand. You're aware of it. And that's a crucial point. See, being aware of it, you Call it a pattern. I'll call it a pattern. The pattern of moving away, right? And and although in the, in the third book that that's referred to as a thought form, which is a much more complex motivational system, right? Um, and and if you can't see that thought form or that pattern as a pattern, it's reality. There's no alternative. Because mm, thought that. thought forms <laughs> thought forms do not present as well. This is one way to go. No thought forms present as this is the way it is, and there's no other way to go. Mm. And that's what comes into therapy. Somebody miserably dominated by a thought form that's making their lives completely unhappy and miserable. Hmm. And so the work becomes how to disidentify from that thought form, because that thought form isn't the person. It's something the person has identified with, latched onto, whether through trauma or any other way. The goal is to get some kind of separation at some point or a distinction, conscious, so you can go, oh, that's a pattern. This, you know, it's, it would be the difference of you saying, it's just the way I am. I move around and I don't attach too much as opposed to what you did say, which is, you know, I have this pattern and a completely different places to come from. Mm-hmm. If you see it as a pattern, 
you can either leave it or change it, but it's your choice. If you, at least you have choice is the point. If you don't see it as a pattern, it's choosing you. Yes. So just to, to make one more point here, um, you know, the, the, the aim of the feeling life is really to awaken the person to the vibrant and mysterious reality of their own feeling lives, not, not according to anybody else, and certainly not me. Because I have found that the greater access one has to their own inner feeling life in this respect, the more fulfilling the experience of self-discovery and self-knowledge can be, and it, and it just keeps on going and keeps on going. And again, not without strife, not without pain, especially when it comes to interpersonal relationships. Right. But if the deeper feelings are, are constantly given the importance that they deserve, if you can give your feeling life the importance that you give your economic life, at mm -hmm. least, at least, because everything you go after in your economic life is so you can feel the way you want to feel. That's right. another premise of the feeling life. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's, it's a shell game. You don't want the things you want because you want the things. You want the things you want because of the feelings you think they're going to deliver. But if you're cockeyed in your, if you're cockeyed in your, uh, 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 in your view of that, it's never going to work. No matter what you achieve, and believe me, I grew up around this. People that achieve beyond what anybody could imagine achieving in this culture. Tell our listeners, just, I mean, you don't need to say who or anything because we don't need you to identify, you know, with something else, but give our listeners a little bit of an idea of how you did grow up so they know where you're coming from when you say that. Well, I, I, have, no, I have no problem revealing my last name. It's kind of a giveaway. And I don't think anybody knows, the, knows, knows my, my dad anymore, but my dad was Jack Klugman. He was an actor. He was very well-known, well-liked. Um, and, you know, we moved from a sort of a suburban Connecticut place when his career really started to take over to, to LA, to Hollywood. And, and that's where I, I started to mix and see um, myself being within it in my family and then watching others and, and watching in, in what I think is the apotheosis in its outwardness of our things and achievements and money will make me happy, right? Hollywood is nowhere it's nowhere more evident than in Hollywood. You know, I mean, it's evident in IBM probably, but it's much more stealth. Right. In Hollywood, everyone's just like, like birds in a nest saying, give me the worm, give me the worm. Mm -hmm. right? The worm of what? It's, 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 it's not going to satisfy if it's not proportionate. The thing that was different about my dad is my dad was never looking for that. My dad was raised on the streets of Philly. His dad died when he was 12. He left Philly at, you know, after, after the war, fell into acting, loved it, but he loved it because he loved acting. He once said to me, you know, David, if I couldn't have made a living acting, I would have painted houses in order to continue acting because I love it, right? And, and, that's not, and that was really true for him. That wasn't just a line. Um, so, you know, although he had moments, because that, that world there is crazy, and they give you so much money and power at certain points, you can really go nuts. Um, he, he came back to a, you know, a, a solid basis of who he was, but I saw many people lose it entirely. So not only did they not get what they were going for, meaning the, the subjective or feeling result from their achievements, which they thought were sure to deliver if I'm, you know, the number one movie maker in the country, I'm certainly going to feel good about myself inside. No. Right. Um, and, and, and these, you know, that's a sort of an obvious spread, but, but I, my, my argument is that we're doing it all the time. You know, 
let me get this. And, and unless we're careful, we'll get seduced by it. Yes. We'll get seduced by the thing. It doesn't stop just because we have one moment of awareness. And again, I'm not going to get religious and say, who's seducing to the physical? But it's there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm not any religion, but I, I do know my history. And so there's something that pulls us to the material in that way, as if it were going to answer the subjective feeling. And all it does is make us more physically dense. Men don't yeah. let their feelings count. Right. Our culture says your feelings don't really count. I mean, okay, fine, over here, like I said, but they don't count because they're not considered objective realities. Yes, and, and when I... And I so just going back to that point mm -hmm. of the, do we create our own reality? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a bad way to ask the question because it's, mm, it's okay. right and it leads us away. I would say with awareness, especially imaginative awareness, which again... Most people think in America, you say imagination, they think four-year-old coloring book. You know, imagination after Coleridge redefining the term during Romanticism, which was a movement in consciousness, not a movement in literature. Um, imagination is the highest organ of perception that we have. And if one's in touch with one's imagined perception of the world, the experiences that one's participating in quote-unquote reality or the phenomena. And in that sense, there's definitely a creation or co-creation of reality that goes on. It's very mysterious and would take a long time to talk about. Yes. But, but what, again, but what we're taught is that reality is external, literal, material only, true, tried, true, and tested, and that's it. And you're separate from it. Well, imagination contradicts that. Imagination says, that's a law of our nature. I'm not going to deny duality. That would be stupid. But if you go down the block six, you know, six feet, you're going to see this whole other thing. That's also valid. Okay. I have something to throw out at you around that. Very simplistic, but it, it, to me, it ties into what you're saying in, in a very interesting way. There's a, there's a house where I live. Okay. I live in a beautiful place. There are uh, a mixture of homes. I live in the country. There are homes that are very large with lots of land, and then there are smaller homes or a mobile home. It's, it's a mixture of things. It's not, a, it's not a planned community. And there's this one home that um, is on the street that the people that have moved in are loud. They're always screaming, and they are very clearly hoarders because there is just junk everywhere in the yard all you know outside the house everything and the neighbors are in an uproar about this they're very upset about this mess and there's a lot of chitter chatter going on which is why i have nothing to do with like neighborhood council meetings and stuff i just i don't want to know my neighbors that well i just don't and i don't care about that kind of stuff because when i walk by that house i think hmm there's a lot of disarray here i think of it from a mental health perspective these people are probably hoarders I do hear them yelling at their kids. Um, I wonder what's going on with them um, that, that, they, that this is you know, an outward example of what's going on internally for them. That's what I think. My neighbors want to go to a committee and to get these people kicked out or force them by the law to clean up their mess because they just don't like looking at it. And my idea is, well, then don't effing look at it when you drive by. Like, who cares? Don't you have enough in your own life to focus on your own mess? Maybe it doesn't spill out onto your lawn, but you still got a mess. So Why does this bother of, you? Well, in terms of what, I'll turn the question on you. In terms of what we've been talking about, right, how would you interpret why that bothers me? 
Well, they want everything to look, you know, the way they want it to the look. They want to why? see ple- pleasantness. I'm going to start drilling. Why? Go ahead. Why? <laughs> okay. uh, why do they want everything to look good? Well, because they're looking for that anesthetizing. Uh, well, why? okay. Because they oh, no, that's good. That is. They are looking for that anesthetizing suburban perfection, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Why? Because that makes them feel safe. That makes them feel ordered. It makes them feel like they're boss. Why does it make them feel safe? Uh, why does it make them feel safe? The first answer, right? You would want to go like how well they're not threatened by the outside world then, right? Well, the same reason why they like to invite me to dinner parties sometimes if they're going through a lot of problems, but they don't want to invite me other times because I'm going to talk about something like Munchausen syndrome and make everybody not want to eat and have to think. <laughs> Well, there's that, but just, and I, I'm sure that's true. But the line that I was following is, okay, we don't like these people. They're dirty, they're hoarders, et cetera. They're, they're offensive to our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Get rid of them, clean it up. Now we're back to our anesthetized, you know, uh, suburban, whatever. And, and that piece is gone. We didn't help them. We didn't do it. We just got rid of them. Right. Right. Um, and, and why would, and the reason I'm, I'm drilling down because it's, first show and it's about the book. Yes, absolutely. I'll give you the answer for me anyway. Ultimately, it's because it enables them not to have to feel their own shit. Mm. Yes. It's your problem. You're dirty. Get out of here. Numb. Yes. Numb. Yes. Welcome yes. to America. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, and it makes me sad. I now want to go know those people, so I'm probably going to go knock on the door and get to know them. <laughs> It makes me sad for the people. It makes me mad for the others. I know the yes, yes, absolutely. It makes me even matter, much matter, for the people who were the propagators of the dogma that nobody even knows their names. I think go to India. If you if this disturbs you, go to India. Get off of a plane and see such contrast, absolute contrast, and and then come back home and look at America through very different eyes. I have. I've been all over the world. That's not my point. No, I know, I know I, you to have. I'm saying these neighbors. Physical conditions aren't what we're talking about here. It's mm-hmm. those physical conditions are outside my norm structure and they make me feel X, Y, Z. I'm not even going to name the feelings because I don't feel my feelings. Just get the fuck out of here. Right. Then I don't have to feel anything I don't want to feel. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge of my feelings. Oh, are you in charge of the physical universe? No. Then guess what? You're not in charge of your feelings either. Serve them. Mm. Serve them. Or you lose them. It's holy work. It's sacred work. Yes, it's it not is. Reli- it's not religion. It, some people may go to religion. It's not not religion, but it's not religion. It's psychology. So serving your feelings, that seems like something that would have gotten, you know, many women burned, you know, in the Salem witch trials for saying that. <laughs> what is that? What, do you, what is your definition or a, a definition of that for today's when, world? When you get a bill from, well, our company's called O&R, our electric company, right? Mm-hmm. For $421, I have to pay it. If I get a feeling that makes me feel X, Y, and Z, I have to feel it and work it through. Otherwise, they'll turn my electricity off in the first place. They'll turn my lifeblood off in the second. Mm. That's what I mean when I say you get kicked. You don't have to feel your feelings. That's free will. You've been given feelings. We've all been given feelings. Some of them are finite. All of them are tainted by the finite. Some of them go beyond the finite. 
but no one will ever know that unless you explore them. And not in some theory, abstract way. If it's not real experience, it's got no use in my world mm-hmm. and no use in ours. We need objectively real alternatives now that are non-material. That may seem like a paradox, but it's not. The non-material can be objective. You just don't see it with your senses. And that's where this all ultimately goes by the time you get to the third book. But we're here just on the first book, The Feeling Life. I think there was a third in there that you were going to talk about. Do you remember what it was? The third, <laughs> third question or a third thought that you wanted um, to explore? I don't know. I, you know, I had mentioned maybe reading that Haas poem, but I think we're kind of late on that. Right. We can do that um, next time. Yeah. We're so talking about Ro- Robert Haas, uh, listeners, just so you know. Right. You, so you can look him up. It's uh, Robert and then H-A-S-S. Yeah, he, I, I included one of the poems from his uh, second book, um, in, in my in, in the feeling life because it illustrates things well but you know okay so all these odd big ideas here's how i would like to end right mm-hmm. if you want to take your feeling life seriously and you know it's up to you but there are great riches just like if you take anything seriously you take hiking seriously great riches there too um identification is the first job have to identify our feelings if we're just feeling them then we are them we're done Identification, funnily enough, leads to disidentification. If I can identify what I'm feeling, I'm not that feeling. I'm suddenly a step moved from it. Mm. Okay? So what am I feeling? It takes time. Sit. Be quiet. What's going on? Don't wait until something makes you react and become a feeling. <laughs> right? Stay on top of your feeling life, just like you stay on top of your financial life. Now, once, once the, the job of identification is accomplished then the real work of feeling can begin, which is mainly begins with exploration and hopefully with a, with a good guide. And the final thing is that along with the help, this is not just feeling, right? We're really, as, as we said, Kristen, you know, we're, we're tripartite beings in a way, right? We have thinking, feeling, and willing. Now, willing is the most dim. You can't even, you can't even track how you move your leg. So no wonder freedom of will is a vexing problem. 90% of it is unconscious. <laughs> Nobody takes that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have thinking, which is not, not the kind of thinking that Buddhists talk about shutting up. That's just mind chatter. I'm talking about the deep act of thinking with your whole being. Mm-hmm. And we have willing. Willing, thinking, and feeling. This book is about feeling. And when... Are you going to republish it so that people can find it? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I could take those 12,000 copies in storage and storage <laughs> distribute them, drop them in the Midwest. I, nobody would read it there. I don't know. Maybe they would. I'm not <laughs> sure yet. I'm, I'm really so focused on the third book. What I'm hoping is, um, you know, the third book is much more comprehensively. It includes all previous books and goes really, it, it's the book I was moving to write. It's a much mm-hmm. longer book and a much more intensive book. I, I'm, I'm hoping to get some kind of interest in, in that. And then the other books would sort of come along for the ride or not, because they're pretty much summarized in that big book anyway. But, you know, to the extent that you'd like to have a trilogy, that would be nice. But, you know, who knows how that may or may not happen. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just doing the work. Well, yeah, your, your writing has evolved as you've evolved over time. When did you write The Feeling Life? 
The Feeling Life was published in 2007. Okay. Wanting and Having was published in 2012. And during those years, I was working on the third book, which is now just completed. Um, and it, like I said, it's it's a, the long, it's 450 pages. It's got all kinds of appendices to, to try to frame the ideas in a way that makes them more, again, experientially available. Because I'm not interested in a bunch of abstract propositions. They don't do anything for us. Mm. Well, are you ready to close for today? Yeah, I feel I feel pretty good about that. Um, <laughs> I want to say one thing. Uh, listeners, this is an interesting thing for me when I do a show with someone, especially a series, no matter how intelligent the person is or how deep the person is, um, they have their own experience of what it is to be recorded. And so there'll be impediments that show up and David's is technology. (laughs) (laughs) Just capital T, no, capital T-E-C-H, all of the cap. (laughs) So there's all kinds of, is this recording? Why is Zoom doing something weird that it's never done ever before and me having to restart it? But how I deal with it, I used to go, what's wrong with me? I'm not showing up okay today. And then I, as I realized, oh, wait a minute, this isn't anything to do, this is someone else's energy. Then I'm able to just peacefully go, I'll be fine. I will, I will override this person's whatever it is because the overarching thing is to get their message out. So we'll just ride through it. And, and we always and I, and, I, and I need to say thank you. You did that so well this morning. <laughs> I just don't get, I don't get verklempt about it anymore because I just have learned it'll, it's all going to be okay. <laughs> Maybe next time we'll start with that Haas poem because it really does kind of yeah. you know, talk to feeling instead of ideas, you know? I like that. I will put that in. So David Klugman, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you listeners for tuning into another episode of The Feeling Life on Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I-
Oh, yeah.